And so what happens is universalism is a theory that was proposed concerning salvation. And it basically means that every human being is saved no matter what. Uh, what it, it doesn't matter what they believe. Uh, it doesn't matter how they live. And it doesn't matter whether they choose to live as followers of Christ or not. It just basically means that Jesus came and he died for our sins. And so everybody's forgiven and everybody's included no matter what. So it's universal in its application. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. Our goal is to help you grow in your faith. A strong faith is the foundation for every good thing in your life. It guides you through tough times and encourages you every single day. And a strong faith will make good times even better because it is faith that brings meaning to life. Your faith is the primary factor in growing emotionally strong. It gives you guidance in how to love the most important people in your life and avoid the most toxic ones. Mm. So we are here to help you grow a strong and powerful faith here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. And my name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. <laughs> Douglas Peak. Hey, everybody. So good to be with you this summer. It's just been, wow, just going so fast. All the things we've been studying on the parables of Jesus and how applicable they are to everyday life and so applicable. These biblical principles, these narratives, these stories that Jesus told really apply to a lot of the things that we're dealing with in today's world. It's really quite remarkable to me. So it's really good to be here with all of you as we keep going in our uh, summer series, The Parables of Jesus. Oh, we called it The Moral of the story. Absolutely. And the parable we're going to dig into this week is the parable of the great banquet. We discussed it on Tuesday a little bit. And now we're going to dig into the deeper implications for our world today. So talk to me a little bit, Pastor Doug, about what the implications of the great banquet parable are in today's modern day. <laughs> today's modern day. Well, let's recap the principles real quick. The first one is this. Uh, the There was a group of people that were invited, and these people were the Jewish people, right? right. Uh, kind of that's the analogy. The second group of people that are were invited are the Gentiles, right? But the point of the person being kicked out is that God is not a universalist. In other words, even if you're a Gentile, you're invited. The invitation is open to all, but there are still, uh, there's still a code of honor. There's still expectations. There's personal responsibility of coming into the kingdom of God. And so this basically means God is not a universalist. And so the imagery is perfect. We must be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Just because we, as Gentiles, have been invited to the party doesn't mean we show up as we please. We show up as God pleases. It's his party. It's his thing. He is the king. And we want to come and say thank you for the invitation. Thank you. The blessing of being at the party, the living in the kingdom, so to speak, is overwhelmingly incredible. And so, but we need to come in and be clothed with the righteousness of Christ in order that we are acceptable to the king. And so this is the essence of the basics of the gospel of Christ is that Jesus came, he says, so that he could be made sin uh, on behalf of those who were sinners, us, so that we could be clothed with the righteousness of God. Mm. And so this is the basics 
of the gospel. We are invited, we can come, but we must be clothed with the righteousness of God, which comes only through the blood of Christ. Let's back up a little bit because you used a term that I've heard used occasionally before this universalist and <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it means. And so there's probably a high probability. There's other people that don't know what it means. They listen to this podcast. So can you expand on what that term is pastor? Sure. Well, uh, universalism is a doctrine of salvation. Whenever you're talking about doctrines or, or orthodox, a doctrine is basically, this is our understanding of this principle. So okay. you call that a doctrine. And so what happens is uh, what we do is we call doctrines, theories about salvation, the study of soteriology. So it is soteriology. A yeah, the study of salvation, soteriology. And so what happens is universalism is a theory that was proposed concerning salvation. And it basically means that Every human being is saved no matter what. Uh, what it, it doesn't matter what they believe. Uh, it doesn't matter how they live. And it doesn't matter whether they choose to live as followers of Christ or not. It just basically means that Jesus came and he died for our sins. And so everybody's forgiven and everybody's included no matter what. So it's universal in its application. So the universal is basically universal salvation for everybody, no matter what, just regardless regard of their own freedom of choice or right. freedom of it's will. Just, Jesus died for everybody. And mm -hmm. just because you exist, you are now saved. It's yeah. kind of the idea. Is there any interaction as far as the, like you have to accept nope. Jesus. It's just, nope. because you live on the planet, you are saved by Jesus. Correct. And that's the extent of your commitment to him is that right. you exist. Well, there, you know, yeah, commitment is irrelevant. Um, just by the fact that you're human, you. you're saved. Okay. And so what they did is, is the, it's based on the interpretation of a passage of scripture that says when Christ died for sin, he died for sin once for all. Okay. So basically the point of this passage is that when Christ died for sin, he died for sin once for all. In other words, he doesn't have to keep dying for sin over and over right. again. His sacrifice was sufficient to pay for all the sins, all the flaws, all the mistakes, all the bad choices in the world throughout all history. Cause the power of his sacrifice is so overwhelmingly strong. It's powerful, right? Right. Cause he was God who gave himself as a sacrifice. And so that's what that passage basically means. When you read it in the context, you always understand that what he's saying is he's talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. But what they do is they reinterpret it. Uh, they don't look at the context and what they do is, well, when Christ died for sins, he died for sin once for all. He means he died for the sins of all, right? No matter what. And so they kind of change that. The problem with this doctrine is that it changes the nature of salvation. Okay. And what it does is it basically defines salvation as a legal standing with God. And that's it. Okay. Therefore, if the debt's paid, it doesn't matter what you do or what you believe, you still get the benefit. You know, a while back I got a check in the mail. It was like for $5 and 29 cents. And I'm like, was it from the state? <laughs> no, it wasn't from the state. It was one of those really official looking ones, you know, okay. the 
computer generated checks. And what it said on there is it was my portion of a settlement from a class action lawsuit. This was a lawsuit that I did not know I was a part of, right? <laughs> I, I, di I don't know what it was about, okay? But somehow it had to do uh, with, um, you know, a lawsuit between a company that had my data, right? Okay. And so it, there was a breach. And so these group of lawyers sued on our behalf without my permission, by the way, or acknowledgement or even knowledge, and they won. And then so, of course, what this usually does is it makes the lawyers who do this really, really wealthy because they get 30 some percent of the settlement. And then I get five dollars and twenty nine cents. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what, what universalism is kind of like that. Right. You, you know, there's a lawsuit against God on behalf of humanity. And then G, the Jesus is the 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 peace right? That paid for the debt. So now all humanity is saved, whether they know it or not. But this is not true because unfortunately we saw earlier, particularly in the parable of the prodigal son, is that the point of salvation is not to get God's stuff. It's not to get heaven. And you remember the older brother and the younger brother, they both kind of wanted the same thing, but they took different paths. Right? In the prodigal son, yes. In the prodigal son. Remember the younger son, he went off and he was a prodigal. He was lavishly wasted everything because he's like, well, I'm going to find myself by just doing whatever I want. Well, that was a total disaster. Okay. And, but the older son was like, well, I'm going to get what I want by being obedient and following all the rules. Right. And, you know, the statement in the prodigal son is to the uh, what the father says to the older son that's so germane to understanding the parable is he says son to the older son he goes you have been with me always in other words isn't this the point that father and son are doing life together and enjoying it everything i have is already yours <laughs> right. you know i'm not withholding anything at all and so what's interesting is the universalism basically treats god that way that the point of salvation is just a legal standing. The point of salvation isn't to be with the father, right? It's to just get the father's stuff. And the father's stuff is legal standing. And so that's what the problem is with universalism. So, I mean, on one hand, the parable of the great banquet shows God's incredible invitation to everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of race, color, culture, or language. While on the other hand, it's also showing that we still have a freedom of choice and therefore a responsibility of making a choice. Yes. So I don't know that that's being taught super well these <laughs> days, Pastor. It feels very much like there's a lot of places that are kind of running on this universalist ideology of, well, you can do whatever you want. You are who you are. Jesus just loves you. Don't worry about it, right? So yeah. are we seeing this doctrine taught other places or where are we seeing this doctrine just in general? Well, I think it's a reaction to the universalist ideology in some way. It's really interesting because universalists were basically, well, love is love, God is love, no matter what. Da, da, da. But to get there, what they did is they basically depersonalized God. He really isn't a God of love who wants to have a relationship with you. What he is is he's just a judge, right? But he's a nice one. Right. And so he de they depersonalized God. They basically said, well, God's just a judge. And, you and so the payment, right, the penalty for the, the crime has been paid. And so now he just says, okay, and then you can go on your merry way. But what that does is that's not love, right? You know, love is about a relationship. 
You know what I mean? And right. it, it requires two people to freely enter in, freely engage, and freely work on this love. And God is is what he wants is for us to be with him in this relationship. And so what I find fascinating is that universalism has so undermined the notion of love that it, it's just really destroyed any actual definition that means anything anymore. Mm. It doesn't mean anything at all. I've been pastoring here in the Treasure Valley for 28 years. Now, what's interesting is we just kind of finished up June, which has become now designated and our nation is Pride Month. Mm-hmm. And there are these uh, parades and Boise has had a pride parade uh, since 1989. So about five years before I moved here, they started these parades. They were very small and they were downtown on Capitol Boulevard. And uh, in the 28 years that I've been a pastor here, I've never once talked about or addressed the pride parade ever. I never mentioned it, never talked about it, uh, never really engaged with it because I didn't think it was necessary, uh, except for last year. And last year is when you have all of these corporate sponsors like Fred Meyer and Albertsons and Zion's Bank and you know the list just goes on and on and on that are pouring money into this thing supporting it, which... Okay, if they choose to do that, we live in a free country. That's fine. But what's interesting is that what they were supporting is they were advertising uh, drag shows. Okay. Or if there's going to be a drag show and if they're going to have it in a public park, I I get, I'm not saying I'm fine with that, but there's really nothing. I guess it falls under the equation of it's not really my business. And then I just, I'm not going to take my kids or my grandkids around there when that's happening. Yeah. Um, That's, that's my choice. That's my freedom. That's my liberty. They have freedom. They have liberty. But what was interesting is that this last year, they wanted to have a drag quit, uh, show for kids. Mm. And it was, it was advertised for kids. And what a lot of people don't understand is that these drag shows are overtly sexualized. I mean, that's the whole point. And so they're doing this to kids. And so at that point, I was like, yeah, we can't, I, we need to stand up and say, look, you as an adult, right, have the freedom in America to do what you want. You can do what you want to your body. You can dress the way you want. You can even go out on a public street and gallivant on within reason. Like you can't run around naked. Right. You know, I, I don't know if you remember this. You probably don't, but Back in the 70s, streaking was all the rage. I've heard of this. You've heard of it, yeah. They even wrote a song called, Oh Yes, They Call Him the Streak. (laughs) It was a parody song. Listen to it sometime. You'll get a kick out of it. So, But, you know, it's like, okay, the reason why is because what that does is that communicate something to children that children aren't ready to give consent to. And the whole point of consent laws is that children don't understand what they're saying yes to when they're 10 or 11 years old. They don't understand the consequences when they're 25. Right. And so that's why we, we basically our entire judicial system is the notion of consent, right? Mm -hmm. Is that kids can't give consent. And so that's why we have consent laws in this regard. Well, what has happened is now there, it is grooming. That's what this is. They're trying to sexualize children. And at that point it's like, okay, 
I, I would prefer to not have to address this, but I'm not going to sit idly by and not stand up to protect children. That's something that I have to do. Right. And it's not just my bent is a salty pastor. That's the calling of every Christian is that we true faith, true religion is protect the widow and the orphan. It's to, you know, protect children. It's to do these things. Do we want to control kids? No, but what we do want to do is give them the opportunity to discover who they are and not be groomed and sexualized at a very young age. And so what's really interesting is that this entire movement has one motto, and this is their motto, love is love. Right. Love is love. And at first, you're, you, you, when you hear that, you go, wow, that's like ice cream is good. Yes. You know, it's very, on the surface, it sounds really sweet. But my very next question is, uh, okay, what does that mean? What does that actually mean? And so one of the leaders, uh, and this is what's happening, is that in, America, in American Christianity today, there is a minister by the name of Reverend Rachel Small Stokes, and she calls herself a queer minister in the, in the Emmanuel United Church of Christ. It's very important to understand that the United Church of Christ has been considered for the last 50 years, 40 to 50 years, not a part of Orthodox Christianity in any way. Okay. They, uh, all Christians, Orthodox Christians, uh, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, all consider them a cult, a heretic, a heretical cult. But they, what they do is they take on the trappings of religion, right? And what they do then is they try to redefine it. And what they wrote is this person wrote a thing called the Sparkle Creed. And what they did is they took, she took something that was very similar to the Apostles' Creed, and, but she completely rewrote it. And let me read it for you. Here is what it says. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and reflect, refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient in patches on the AIDS quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose gaze eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the call to each of us that love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. And it was penned in 2021. Now, what's interesting is that I think that this this is reflective of something that's happening okay uh, am i concerned about the trajectory of our nation absolutely what do i think will happen well i'm not quite sure uh, what most people don't realize is that what is happening today is exactly what happened in the second and third uh, century with a belief or an ideology called gnosticism okay and the history of Gnosticism is that there was a group of people that took the trappings of Christianity. They took the name of Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. They took the, 
the celebration of Mass at that time. They took the Eucharist, the bread and the cup, the Lord's Supper. They took the hymns of the early church, the songs, and even the early statements or creeds of the church that we find in the scriptures like Acts chapter 15, which is one of the first creeds. And then there's some other creeds that you see that Paul wrote in his epistles that were common among the churches. And they rewrote these things. And what they did is they basically said that Jesus wasn't really God. What he was is he was created by God and he was a lesser being, right? In this, because this lesser being, you know, it's pretty complicated, created the heavens and the earth and they're not good. And so there's a division between spirit and flesh and you have to have special knowledge or gnosis in order to go to heaven, so to speak. So they rewrote all this stuff. And one of the biggest leaders of it was an extremely wealthy Roman merchant by the name of Valentinus. And what he taught, you can go back and read his readings. He said, when uh, concerning Jesus, he goes, Jesus was a divine being, which has taken human form in order to lead humanity back to recognition of its own divine nature. Mm. So notice what he was saying. He was saying, we're all gods. Okay. And Jesus's job was to show us how we are our own gods. And of course, all the early church fathers said, this is a heresy. <laughs> this is horrible. It's evil. And what a lot of people don't know is that Valentinus grew up in the church and Valentinus was a leader in the church. He was a bishop in the church. And for a very short period, he became a candidate to be the Pope. But of course they were like, his views are heretical. So we're not, and that's when he just split, but he was super wealthy. Mm. And so he went and he built Gnostic churches in all of the major cities that he did business in and so forth. And what happened is of course it completely died out. And one of the reasons why it completely died out, Gnosticism did, is not just because it was a heresy, but because it became increasingly sexualized. Mm. Now this is a salty pastor. And so we give you the facts of history. And one of the things that they did is that they decided that worship of God was, would become a sexual expression. And so it became an orgy. And then the Eucharist at that time, the Lord's supper, what they would use for the wine, they would use women's menstrual blood. And they would consume this, right? And the when Jesus said he broke the bread and said, this is my body, eat of it. And what they interpreted that to mean is that we are going to consume sexually through sexual pleasure everybody's body around us, right? So th these things became really, you know, disgusting displays of sexual immorality and, and they died out you know, before too long. And so I, I, I don't want to overstate the case, but I want everybody to think about this for a moment. And that is in the LGBTQ plus community today, the goal is to express your true self. So your true self is your identity based on what you desire. But the problem is, is, you know, you can go to any prison today and see a lot of people who express their true selves. Right. And, and so therefore when you define who you are based on who you desire to have sex with or a sexual desire, um, 
what you're going to see is an increasing pushing of the boundaries because this is a natural law as well as a revelatory law. You know, the difference between this is that a, re a revelatory law is God said, this is immoral. Don't do that. It's bad for you. Here's some of the reasons why. And some people, you know, have childlike faith and go, okay, no problem. I'm right. not going to stick my hand in the garbage disposal and turn on the, the, the you know, the power to it. Right. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm not going to jump off uh, Niagara Falls, you know, without a barrel. I'm just right. not going to do it. Um, some people are that way. Other people though, aren't more people go, well, why is it wrong and prove it to me that, it, well, this is called natural law. And this is, well, you don't have to believe in God at all. You can just, you can see that if you jump off a people who jump off high cliffs die when they hit the bottom. So don't do that. Right? right. There is a law called gravity. That's natural law. And morally, there is a natural law. And that is, is that people who become incredibly sexual, promiscuous and moral these ways, uh, their, their death rate is incredibly high. It's at, I mean, their life expectancy is at half of what a normal life expectancy would be. And primarily it's because of all of these sexually transmitted diseases and infections and all these types of things, as well as the impact on you psychologically when you live this way. Right. And one of the things in natural law regarding this is called the law of diminishing in returns. This is why hedonism is a failed philosophy. Hedonism is basically pursue all your pleasure you can. Well, it, it, you become an addict to pleasure. And what we know about addiction to drugs is what? You're always trying to do... The next high. The next high. And to get the next high, you always have to do what? More. More, right? And so that, that's called the law of diminishing returns. So today, when you define who you are based on what you desire, you're going to see this incredible pushing of the boundaries. And that's what we're seeing now. And we see this grooming of children happening today across the board and every opportunity if you oppose it you are considered uh, a phobic individual or you have a bigotry towards people and what's interesting is that the early church father so how do we deal with it today well i think we should deal with it like the early church fathers did back in the second and third century and that is um they called it heresy they banished it from Orthodox Christianity and they called people out to a higher standard. And some of these people who did this were martyred. They were killed because they did that. I, I hope that that's not the case here in America today, but we need to basically call this out for what it is and what it's attempting to do. Not in, in, in a, in a, I, I, I don't know if I even want to qualify it this way, but we have to do it in a way that explains the underlying reasons and philosophical, biblical, natural law truths. You can argue for children not being exposed to drag queen shows without ever referencing the Bible. <laughs> or right. a revelatory or religious position. You can argue it 100% purely from natural law. And if that's what we need to do, we should be doing that. But nonetheless, we should be standing up to these types of things. Yeah, I think, you know, just tracking through what we've talked about today, this idea that universalist 
universalism being this, you know, you can do whatever you want and God will love you and you have to just exist in order to have the salvation kind of leads into this idea a little bit of love is love. You love everybody, love everything and don't rain on my parade if I love something different than you. Right? Literally don't rain on my parade. Yeah. And so <laughs> the, the, what you're kind of leading towards, if I can summarize is the universalism isn't great for your faith because again, you're not engaging in it. It's not a two way street. Right. And then this idea of just saying love as a whole is love and it can mean whatever you want it to be, whether you are attracted to the opposite gender or to a cat or whatever. Mm -hmm. And all of that love is okay and fine. It's like, well, now you've just made love not mean anything because it's now all it is, is just a sexual desire basically, or a preference. Right. And yes. so when that happens, it's pushing these boundaries out to a point where like in the second and third century, things could start getting really crazy as far as what is considered okay in various circumstances right. right like we saw happening in that um that church that was doing yes. all kinds of crazy and stuff and never right? forget the whole one of the biggest points of paul writing the corinthian church in first corinthians he says he said to them you think you're being loving by accepting and tolerating this immorality in your own midst and what had happened is a son had taken his dad's wife right. as a lover, right? I, I remember reading about this. And yes. so the dad and the woman were still married, and the son is be is having sexual relations with his stepmother and his dad's wife, and the church is going, look, you know, love is love. Look how great we are. Right. And Paul writes him this letter and just scorches them. Right. And says, you no. <laughs> yeah, you're crazy. Cause you, you, here's the problem that people don't think through. And this is why the salty pastor exists. And that is you have to think through the implications of your faith and the implications of what you say you believe. Why? Because in the end, you're the one who reaps what you sow. And if you believe falsehoods, you end up reaping a train wreck. And then so many people today do this and then go, God, why did you do this to me? And it's like, I, I, I don't think God did that to you. I think you <laughs> did. I, I remember, uh, who's the comedian that, uh, that writes all those really funny skits and he plays that old woman, you know, she goes to prison, she does all this. I can't think of his name all of a sudden off the top of my oh, head. Oh, you're talking about the Medea? Yeah, the Medea guy. Oh, uh, what was his, his name? name? We can't I even remember. remember. But you, you know what? Going, he wrote he wrote a really interesting movie script where this woman says, I can do it's called I can do bad all by myself. Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry. Yeah. So he wrote the this thing is I can do bad all by myself. Mm. And that's really, I think, so true is that we do it all by ourselves pretty bad. But what's happening is we need to stand up to this in a convicted, uh, controlled way, right? We shouldn't lash out, but we should stand firm because what's happening is a tyranny. And I want to I want to quote from C.S. Lewis. My son sent me this quote, and and I just want to read it real quick in closing. He says, of all the tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. 
it would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment torment us without end for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. Mm. And that's what's happening with this, uh, ideology, this trans ideology where they're trying to say that you need to not only accept it, but you need to embrace it. And so I think that is the worst tyranny according to CS Lewis of all. Well, thank you, Pastor, so much for sharing with us. And uh, Pastor Harv is going to be preaching this Sunday, so he's going to be doing um, an interesting study on these um, on this story as well. That'll be exciting. And then we'll see you next week here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Thank you guys for watching. Blessings.